Um, okay, Muzz. Hi, Amy. Hi. Nice to see you. Same. Um, I am introducing you to Penny. Tell me about Penny. Well, Penny was my next door neighbor, basically for my entire childhood and one of my mom's best friends. Oh, that's fun. Uh, yeah. So Penny was a teacher. She's a retired teacher. Her husband also a retired teacher. She has two sons. I had a huge crush on Michael growing up. They lived right across the street from us. We're keeping that in. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not embarrassed. I'm a 43-year-old woman. I had crushes when I was young. I don't anymore, though. Um, so, yeah, it was actually a really interesting experience talking to Penny and something that I reflected on quite a bit later because you know you you grow up with someone and she's my mom's friend so the adult she was also a primary school teacher when I went to primary school she was probably the first instance where as a kid I realized that teachers were real people because you know I saw her at school but then also she was my mom's friend yep um and so on one hand I I was actually quite surprised after having known someone for I guess at this point over 30 years that there was information about her life that surprised me, (laughs) but there was tons. I mean, you're not sitting there. It's the beauty of these chats, right? It it is exactly. Yeah. So, um, and Penny was, you know, quite eager and interested to talk to me, which is, I'm always interested in why people are interested. Sure. Um, but she, she was like really open and kind of dove right in immediately themes around, you know, aging and fears as, um, her fears as a person who's aging and in her seventies. Now she mentions themes around maid, which is medical assistance in dying, which is legal in Canada. And, uh, yeah, this first section is just sort of a conversation about her experiences with her mother, who I also knew and, uh, her life, uh, early years and experiences around death and dying and, Mm -hmm. And now how, her thoughts about it. So that sounds great. Yeah. So we just, we get right into it with Penny. All right. Okay. Can't wait to listen. Yeah. Um, thank you very much for agreeing to talk to me. You're welcome. Um, I really do appreciate it. I also am very curious when I, cause when I, there are some people whose eyes light up almost when I say, well, I, I'm interested in talking to people about death and dying. And and that I would say that was you. You said, oh, I'll talk to you. What was it that, I mean, I, I presume that that's, this is a topic that you feel at least a little bit comfortable talking about. I, I do feel comfortable. And I have thought about it for a very long time in my life, and I'm not quite sure why. I know my grandmother died as... Um, a little wizened up old lady in the fetal position in a nursing home. She was probably like that for quite some time. And I can remember when I was very young, like I'm talking in my 20s, probably in mm. 30s, I would always have that um, thing going on in my head. They shoot horses, don't they? Mm. Because I would look at people suffering and I'd say, why? Why do humans have to suffer so much when they die? Mm. And it wasn't that I had seen that much in terms of people dying, but I remember watching my grandmother. And then I had another aunt who died of dementia. And I could just feel the discomfort in the family to watch that kind of stuff. So Mm. 
it's been something that I've th- I didn't think about it much in my 30s and 40s when I was bringing up my own children. I, I guess I didn't really think about dying. Um, but I certainly have always felt that I did not want to die a bad death. That's the only thing about dying that disturbs me mm. is that I'll go in a bad way where I am gaga and I can't do anything for myself. I hate that. I absolutely hate the thought of that. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's about time. And I did say at one point a number of years ago, this baby boomer generation is the generation that's got to get this started because there's so bloody many of us. Mm -hmm. What's going to happen when we're all old? There won't be anybody to take care of us. And so we need to do something about it. So I'm really happy that MADE exists but I would like to see changes in in s- certainly the dementia part. Right. I think the dementia one is the one that most people are really upset about. So you mean the idea of being able to pre-plan, for example, if I receive this diagnosis, um, I would like to receive made, but I don't want to do have to do it so early that I can like d- dementia or Alzheimer's being an acceptable diagnosis. Too. Right, right, right. Um, so growing up, your grandmother, do you remember her prior to her being? Oh yeah, she lived with us for a while. Oh, she did. Yeah. At what point did she go into the nursing home? Yeah, I can't really remember. Um, she lived with us for a while, and it wasn't a good situation because my father did not like it, and he was not kind. That's and your mom's mom? Or that's your... correct. Okay. And it did create issues in our household, for mm-hmm. sure. A lot of stress and anxiety about it. Um, trying to think. She must have gone She must have gone from our house to a nursing home, I guess, unless she went to one of my aunts for a bit. But she was, my mother was born when my grandmother was 40, so she was older mm-hmm. even then. I think she lived to about 94. I'm not sure how long she was in the nursing home. I can't really remember. What didn't your dad like about it? Oh, uh, she took up a, a bedroom that he would prefer to have had for himself. And, well, my father had a lot of issues, and this was just one more to add to it. Um, and so that must have been really hard for your mom. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, really hard. And she's always thought the same thing as I do. She did not want to have a bad death either. And she didn't really. I mean, she was pretty good until it was close to time. But at one point, she had kept falling and she lost her ability to talk. And that was really horrible right. for her. And we think that she had a number of small strokes. That's the only reason that. She'd lost, and she fell all the time, and that we feel was, although nothing ever showed up in CT scans, I I don't think. But she actually did at one point when she had fallen. She took a a pair of scissors and tried to cut her wrists. She'd had enough. Mm -hmm. She was finished. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't long after that that she died. Um, Something happened in the night. And she wasn't responding in the morning. She wasn't dead, but she was close. And um, that was it. So she was 81. And she would have been happy to have gone that way rather than, you know, staying around in the, in the um, 
the way that condition, yeah, and the condition that she was because she was still able to get up and and be around with a walker, but um, the last fall had sort of compromised her activity a little bit more, and so she, I think, she gave up. Yeah. I don't know whether that's possible or not. I mean, there's various people say it in various ways, but I think she almost did because. When I went over to see her, when they said that she was not responding, I said, it's okay, mom, you can go now. And she was dead in 15 minutes. It's hard to imagine that that really can make a difference. But I know, I mean, I've heard many stories in the same way. And and it certainly was with her. I mean, she was not responsive in any way. But like I said, 15 minutes later, she was gone. When did your father pass away? He died when he was 52 years old. Oh, very young. Very young. He was an alcoholic. Okay. And he uh, drank too much and died of liver disease. And that was a horrible, horrible time for me mm. because I wasn't keen on my dad. And I guess I felt guilty. So I sat in the waiting room and cried the entire time when my mom was sitting in there with him. It didn't take him long to die. It was a couple of days. He just went into probably liver failure um, because that's what was the cause of death. So. Yeah. In a way, I think my mother was relieved because he had not been easy to live with in the last couple of years of his life. So, yeah, she remarried within a year. So, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why not? Well, she was only in her 50s. Well, no kidding. Because she had children very early. Who did she? Because, of course, I know your mom. I mean, I knew your mom. Yeah. When in Guelph, we spent some time together. Yeah. Um, Can you remind me of your mom's name? Because Betty. Betty, thank you. Right. It's driving me nuts. Um, do you consider the person she remarried your stepfather? Or do you just... Well, he was my stepfather. I wasn't keen on him particularly, but right. he died then too. They were married 10 years, okay. and then he died. And it was... Uh, he wasn't well. He was in the in the war, and he had a war injury. And um, he smoked, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but it it took him about a week to die too, and that was really hard on my mom because she wasn't feeling well at the time, and you know if you're and and she was staying up late, you know, with him in the hospital and so on. So, so he was. So did they? They all had facility deaths, hospital or nursing yes, home. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My dad was in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. And my stepfather was in the hospital. Gosh, your mom sat by a lot of bedsides. She did. So was it a, when your grandmother was ill and your mom sort of going through all of this, was, did, did you discuss, like, were you a family that openly discussed things like death and dying? Like, did you know what, did your mom know what your grandmother's wishes were? Did you get the sense that that was something that had been? No, I don't know. Mm. I do know that my mother always had from, any time that I ever talked to her about death, and that probably would have been maybe after my father died, or maybe Oscar was my stepfather, maybe after Oscar died, we did talk about death a lot more then because she had been through, right. you know, those kinds of things in, in fairly quick order. And um, when we started talking about that, she made her wishes very clear. Okay, and what what were they? She did not want to be a burden mm. to anybody, and she did not want to be kept alive mm. um, under, you know, like don't do everything for me. Comfort measures, basically. Yeah, yes. comfort measures. And when she started falling, she was living at Anne Hathaway here, and um, 
The one time she went into the hospital after she'd fallen, and the doctor there, he was an older man, and he was on call, and uh, he said, um, well, she seems to be okay, but you know, you don't always know with these kinds of things, and what are your wishes in terms of if your heart stops? Mm. And my mother said, if my heart stops, let me go. Right. No heroic measures. Yes. So, and that would have been when she a was... DNR. Yeah, 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 but nothing in writing. But um, she definitely believed that. But at that point, we weren't really writing things like that. Well, maybe some people, but we weren't. But I knew that my mother wanted that, right. that she would not want to be, I guess, having been through both my father and Oscar, and it was really hard on her, I think, sitting beside both of those men as they died. And she did not want to have anybody repeat that for her. Well, I have a memory. <laughs> Did we ever talk about this when I was like going in with with your mom? Like, I, I don't know how long that was or exactly when it was in Guelph mm -hmm. going in. I think we would do some grocery shopping. And, yeah. But she was driving mm -hmm. and she had a minivan. Did she have yes, a minivan? Yes, she did. Yeah. And we were in an underground parking garage and she pulled out and backed into a pole and she said, oh dear. And then like put it in drive and then turned and then drove into another pole. And, like, oh, and, then, backed, and then we made it out. I was like, it's okay. It's okay. We're doing this. And then, you know, I was like, good one, Betty. We, we got it. And well, you know, what happened with that too? Oh, I, it, it drove me crazy that she was still driving that thing. She told me one time the police came to her her door when she was living on Neve Street where you knew her and um she I said what they come well you know um I was going out of Angie's do you remember Angie's yes. Angie's diner she yes. loved that place and she said I guess I hit a car but I didn't really know <laughs> and so somebody saw me and they told them the police and they came and and so on so after that she did get rid of that but then she wanted decided to buy a um a toy uh, was it a Toyota or a Honda? A, to a Toyota, I think. A very small Toyota. And um, she, I said, oh, Mom, I don't know. And so I went over to Guelph, and I went with her. And I, I think they had pressured her into buying him. By the time oh. I got there, it was too late, and she'd signed the contract. Oh, shoot. So I have such a vivid memory of... Betty hitting those posts, <laughs> being in the car. I yeah, I was, I was in my 20s. And I would just like, was, I would go and like I said, I would do some like, like shopping with Betty and spend a bit of time with her. And now I think about it as like a woman in my 40s. If I were driving with someone who hit multiple posts with their car, I might consider letting someone know. Right. Um, but at that time, I was just like, I mean, we're fine. I'm sure this is globally fine. I'm just going to let it lie. Right. Um, well, and when you're 20s, you're like, I'm not the responsible person here. I no, no. <laughs> the woman I'm mm. helping is in charge. Yes. And she, we're fine. Yeah. It's also kind of funny. Yes. Um, and frankly, it was, it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so this next section with Penny... We get a bit more into her her life her own life. Like, you know, we talked quite a bit about yeah. her her growing up and stuff mm -hmm. and sort of her marriage to Ken, her career um as a teacher. 
And I thought there, there's some interesting discussion there around, um, and this is like sort of not necessarily related to the topic of end of life, but I found it interesting. Um, she, she, uh, talks about some of the differences that she noticed in her career trajectory and the way she was treated versus her husband, Ken, who was also a teacher. Of course. And they became teachers, I think within years of each other, like there, Mm -hmm. there wasn't a great, uh, disparity in their level of experience and stuff. And I think it's noteworthy, generally speaking. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the other thing that, that really comes up and I think it's something that like probably you and I also are currently experiencing as, or just kind of exist in is that like challenging place where we're in our Mm forties, our parents are, in their seventies or eighties. Well, your father has passed. Yes. Uh, but my parents are still alive in their seventies. How old is your mom? 81, 82. So, and your mom lives alone. Yeah, she does. Yeah. So my parents do as well. Well, they live together, but right. they yeah. together alone. Yeah. Um, super functional, uh, no issues. I like have literally zero concerns, Same. but we're also witnessing friends, parents go through illness and a decrease in level of function. Yep. And it's on my brain Yeah. that this is something that is, it's coming up. I mean, that's just the way time works, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's coming up sooner than it was, you know, I'm more aware of it in my forties and my parents in their seventies than I was. Well, especially once they hit, you know, that number 80 mm. over 80, then you start to, you're, you're just like over oh, here. Yeah. And you start to kind of pay closer attention. Um, you know, I haven't driven with my mom <laughs> in a while. Uh, as far as I know, it's going all right. But it's one of those things, you know, that will start to look closer. But you look for other signs first. I mean, there's no, I'm not suggesting anything at the moment. But, uh, you know, I think we're definitely at that age where you can start to pay attention. Yeah. And at least think about it. Absolutely. And I think Penny, like it's, it comes clear in that, in our conversation here where her kids, like she and Ken are both like highly functional and also live in a, in a quite a large house and her kids asking questions, um, that she acknowledges, she acknowledges her like little things she's noticing in her, um, like changing in her abilities or in her endurance and things like that, Mm -hmm. but also the kind of little tiny backup when, when questions are asked, like what's the plan or what's the, so I I think it's, these are kind of common themes and, and this is, this is what we talk about next. Great. Let's hear it. Okay. And where did you meet Ken? I met Ken in high school. Oh, you did? I did. Are you the same age? Yes. You're both 76. He turned 77 on Sunday. You both don't look a day over 67. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you had Michael. What year was Michael born? 75. 75, right. And then Eric, 77. Mm-hmm. So two years. And so that, so two you were off for like five or six years. Yeah. And when you went back, three, are three-year-olds in, like they were, would have both he was been daycare. Daycare. And Michael was kindergarten. How did you find that transition? Back? Horrible. Horrible. Yeah. Did you like teaching? I did. Did you like being a teacher? I did like teaching. I didn't like the politics around it. And I didn't like most of the the, um, administration that I worked for. I thought they were um, men who were, who felt superior to women. Oh. 
Well, I've never heard of such a man. Could you please elaborate? The man, what happened was in, in the elementary system, in 1967, I think it was, there was an amalgamation and there was a great need for uh, administrators. So there were a lot of young men mm. and not necessarily men who had completed their university. Right. But they did started taking courses and they got the advancement. And so they were there for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that was good. No. But we won't go into that because... <clears throat> well, I don't think it's irrelevant, uh, particularly when you mentioned earlier that, you're well, that you, you think it's possible you might be not quite as amenable as your mother um, when it comes to certain aging processes or you might rage against those machines a bit Yes, more. yes. You're, you're absolutely right. Good on you for picking that up. <laughs> but it's true because I've already sort of pushing back when Eric says, you shouldn't climb that ladder, Mom. I said, well, what the hell? Why not? I'm perfectly capable of climbing the ladder. I can yeah. lift my leg. I did it just now when I was cleaning. And um, it's it's a ladder with, you know, a big step in the in the middle. It's not like it's a wobbly thing or anything. And I also told a friend recently that I had, I stand on a chair to water the, um, my plants, my hanging plants. And she said, Oh, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> I said, Well, I'm fine. I can. But you know what? It doesn't take much, does it? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, Andrea, uh, Andrea's mom just fell on the weekend and broke the top part of her arm. Oh, God. And Andrea, your, your daughter-in-law. My daughter-in-law, yes. And so she she's three years younger, and she's uh, in a world of pain, and it's going to affect who knows what. I mean, and it was something that she's done often, but um, it's just... A it's an interesting conundrum actually because in some ways like it sounds like independence is a, a huge value of yours totally maintaining independence absolutely so it's this place where you're like then you start to try to balance like what independence do i out of necessity should i give up to prevent a bigger loss of independence for example breaking your shoulder and now is going to be more dependent than if Perhaps she hadn't done the thing that, you know, I think that must be really challenging. It is very challenging. I think probably the most challenging thing, because as I say, I think of my mother and think, oh, she knew when to give up living where she's living. Well, I'm living in a big house and we talk about moving all the time and we haven't done anything about it. And I really don't want to. I am going to have to be. And both my kids, more Michael probably than Eric, um, he is well what's your plan for when you're older because that's the, his job requires that kind of forward thinking i, I guess. was going to ask yes because you know the you know i don't know if you had and that was a question if betty told you what her wishes were and what her plan was in conversation with if you know if michael's bringing it up like it sounds like, how do you, when he says to you, what's the plan? Like, how does that make you feel when he asks you that? Are you okay to talk about it? Or I'm a little resistant, I'd have to say. Mm -hmm. I said, my plan is to stay here forever. And he said, well, <laughs> how are you going to do that? And I said, well, if we have to, we can live on the main floor of our house. We have a four-piece bathroom. Yeah. And um, we've got a few stairs, and that can easily be managed with mm -hmm. a little lift if it was necessary. Yeah. Um, so 
we feel that we can probably handle this. Um, I, as someone who has been in your house and am an occupational therapist, um, actually think your house is decently modifiable to be able to remain there. That's a piece that I think is underestimated in terms of the challenge it presents for a lot of people is this period where everyone's very functional, healthy, and but things are um, changing. I mean, things are changing our entire lives. But it seems that, and I don't know if you feel this, but what I'm witness to is the changes seem... Um, the impact is felt greater um, as as you age a little bit. Definitely, definitely. So, and then you're sort of faced with this major decision, mm-hmm. as it turns out, because mm-hmm. you're both quite functional and, and uh, obviously you're very functional. Um, but the the next step, if it was to change your living environment, is a pretty massive major deal. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess in a in a sense, I am pretty good at burying my hand and head in the sand. And I think I'm doing a really good job of that right now. And yes, that's how I'm different than my mother. Although having said that, I guess she didn't really make the decisions until they had to be made. But mm-hmm. she was cognizant of the fact that they did have to be made. Right. And you know, right now, the only thing that would make us think that we have to do something is because of Ken's um, issue with his foot that cannot seem to be helped at this point. And um, it's very frustrating for him. And if it can't be helped, then we may have to make a major decision. Right. Which I'm not looking forward to. No. I'm recording. I also didn't rename it because I don't understand how to do that. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. It's not necessary. We don't have to. Um, Okay. So we, now that we're, we're like knee deep into the, into the meat and meat and potatoes of this, of this episode, you may have noticed that we're trying something different. Yeah. Second interruption. Second interruption. What did you call them? Interludes? No. Uh, an interstitch, but I just, I don't think that's the, I love it. I think we should call them interstitches from now on. (laughs) Um, and yeah, just kind of breaking up. We're trying this, breaking up the episode, giving some thoughts, um, having discussions around some of the themes that are being brought up. Um, and in that last section, I just think like it, again, it really does highlight how, Penny and so many people, particularly baby boomers, are in this like limbo period. Yeah. Um, and like watching, noticing little changes, you know, and, and just I think it's a challenging time. And I think it's as far as aging concerns. Absolutely. Right. And I think it's good for us to be aware and also um sensitive to that. Yeah. Just as like we're 40 year olds like going about our life and yeah. remembering that these are big these can feel like really big losses. Like, do you remember when you got your license? Big, big time. Yeah. Well, I remember you get your beginners and then we had to wait one or two years to, uh, yeah. Get the G2. And the funny thing about the beginners, I remember this is that you just, it was a written test and then they're like, yeah, you can drive with someone in the car with you. So my dad took me on my 16th birthday. Yeah. Took me to the, what is it? What's it called? The Ministry of Transportation. The MTO? Yes. Okay. 
Um, so took me there. My little brother was there. I wrote the test. I passed it. So nervous. Right. So nervous. Right. And he let me drive home from there <laughs> in our freaking wood panel station wagon. Like it's as long as half of a city block. Had you ever driven before? No. <laughs> <laughs> like now I, was, I remember even I was like, I'm in over my head. Like yeah. I pulled out of the parking lot and yeah. immediately was in like filled with regret. It's like sailing a boat, that thing too. You need your boater's license too. Massive, massive. But then you're right. Like we go through this process, the graduated licensing in Ontario that they introduced and like that freedom is, that's the first time that I felt like free, like you said, Yeah. just this, like I can do whatever I want, even if it's just for an hour, I have this car and I can, and I think about that, like when we were talking, when Penny was talking about uh, Betty, her mom, and sort of realizing that she prob- probably shouldn't drive anymore. And we're watching, you know, people who they might, they may get to that point. And, and in terms of like that idea of being sensitive, like that's when I was 16, that was like my biggest deal. Yeah. And when I think about it from that perspective, what that must feel like to have it taken away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so I just, when I was thinking about, you know, cause we can get a little, I I've done as an OT, like years ago, we did driving assessments, like assessments mm-hmm. to see if someone is still able to drive and things like that. And I think I was probably insensitive to what that would mean to someone right. if they couldn't drive anymore. I didn't fully understand or grasp. It's a double-edged sword too, because I, I mean, I'm thinking ahead to when that day might come for my own mom, mm-hmm. I would be super nervous and hesitant to bring it up. And then of course she's going to probably want to naturally push back on it. Yeah. A bit. So it's a, it's, it's, you know, a touchy subject for a reason. Yeah. All of these subjects, that, like a lot of the stuff I, I talked about with Penny, they're all touchy subjects. Like the other thing we talked about was who in her family, and this is if like you have a, a family with multiple siblings who take on the role of caregiver, like it naturally, is that something that is discussed? Is that something that is gender-based and stuff? You know, Penny and her sister were the ones who took care of her parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's talked about a bit, but like in your family, is that something that y- you as siblings, how many siblings do you have? Five. Five siblings. Yeah, yeah. So it did when my dad was sick, you know, it, it did kind of fall into those uh, stereotypical gender roles mm. a, a little bit, mm. um, mostly because I have three older sisters um, who are, you know, close and communicate well. My one sister's in healthcare, um, and so she kind of took the lead on a lot of that stuff, but it was just natural for them to step into that um, situation, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. But if there was anything else that needed to be done, you know, we were happy to, happy to help in that yeah. respect. So, but yeah, it did fall along those gender lines, which is interesting in hindsight. Yeah. And I think gender can play a role. I think the other thing you brought up is someone who works in healthcare. I, I talk about that as well. Yeah. And, um, there is a language that you have and are comfortable with when yeah. you've spent time in the system yeah and um yeah i think i think it's it's an interesting conversation penny mentions like some of her own 
um, thoughts around having two sons, <laughs> yeah. neither of which work in healthcare. What does this mean? Yeah. You know, things like that. So yeah, I think it's a it's, real thought for sure. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, enjoy this next section. All right. Are you someone that thinks about your legacy, like how you want to be remembered and how, like, cause you have grandchildren. Yes. Two grandchildren. I have two grandchildren, yes. And how do I want to be remembered? I want to be remembered as a reasonable person who loved my family dearly and um, was not mean. I think that's important. There's that, a lot, that, that's, a, that's, a big, that's a big one. That, that I, that's, I've never really thought of that until mm. you said that, but that is what I want, I think. I don't want to be remembered as the bitch that couldn't or wouldn't or um, whatever. I had a a problematic mother-in-law and I swore that I wouldn't be a problematic mother-in-law and I don't think I have been but not just that I mean I don't want my kids to think that I'm demanding or that I'm um, difficult to get along with or any of those things so I have tried to live my life without putting that upon them whether I've been successful or not I don't know you can expect that Michael's going to be of help and support in some way because he will want to, he will feel like he should, like there's probably a variety of reasons, wants to because he loves you, you're his parents. Feels like he should, there's an obligation there that is I think normal and inherent in the relationship. And so if, barring this, like I don't wanna be a burden, I don't wanna do any of these things, he's gonna help anyway in ways that he can. I, I'm, I always try to think like, what's the balance then? Like, how do you feel comfortable receiving his help? What's the way that you can feel recom um, comfortable and also feel his need to be supportive and helpful? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Um, that's interesting because of course I, I have this thing having had two boys and of course you've got two brothers who are very involved with your family and so on, but you're the girl. Do you feel any extra yes yeah i don't you don't even need to finish the question why uh i think there's a couple of pieces at play one um i am the only one of my siblings who has worked in healthcare, mm. so i am more aware of the systems pieces i also speak the language of healthcare. i mean this is as it pertains to right i also have spent i mean as i outlined to you before we started recording a lot of time getting really comfortable with difficult emotions by virtue of my work right immersed in it all the time so I am okay to talk about it if something happens I'm going to be the assertive one who's like no this is not okay we need to this is you, you know I I know that that's how it's going to mm -hmm. go I also think that um also I'm single and they are they are coupled and that is not irrelevant. No, it isn't. And again, with Eric not having the same responsibilities as Michael, I expect that he will probably take on more. But it's interesting because when I was the one taking care of my mother, my brother was, he lived very, just outside of Guelph. So he was there physically, but he was not there mm -hmm. for anything else. Mm -hmm. And because I, well... He had his own issues. He he was addicted at one point and so on. And he came back and lived not a bad life. But, um, And he was good to my mother in a way. Right. But not, 
he didn't really realize the kinds of things that were going to happen. Like when she died, it was, oh, she died. You know, he, he really hadn't been there. And I just feel as a girl, and yep. my sister, of course, she came and uh, stayed with my mother after, I guess after her husband retired, she would come once a year from um, the West and stay with my mother for a period of time. And when she had a, um, a hip operation, she came and stayed because I was still working at the time. So my sister and I have taken the brunt the brunt I, that's a maybe not a good word but we have been the more responsible ones and right. I think that that happens in a lot of families and so I sometimes think huh I've got two sons I'm screwed <laughs> <laughs> well I mean I think it's I I don't know if there is part of and I can't speak to based on what you're saying like I, I don't know your brothers but if they know by default that the sisters are going to step up, it gives them permission, even if they don't realize that's what's happening, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. take a backseat. Because it's never comfortable. It's not fun watching your parents age. It, it It's not. And, and realizing that they need more help and support and things. And it is like talking about avoiding it as the person it's happening to. We can kind of avoid acknowledging it as well. I don't really do that. I feel like sometimes I over acknowledge. I'm like, look at this, it's changed. And then, but maybe I shouldn't harp on things too much. Um, what well, about, I mean, things like care needs, I would imagine, and actually you tell me if I'm right. Like, I would think that you feel quite strongly about neither of them being involved in your care needs if it comes to that. My personal care, yes. everyday care, yes, I would prefer somebody else, yes. Um, what about things like, think, what in your life has been, have been, you know, things that have brought you joy and comfort in terms of, I know, like you really like to read. Mm. Do you have, have you thought about like books or passages that you, that you love that could be read to you? Or like, these are the things that really came up when I was talking to those women that one, one lady said to me that she really hoped that at her bedside, her family would play. CCR. She loves CCR. But she said, you know, I just, um, I just don't think that they, they would ever believe that they'll just play classical music. <laughs> and I, you know, my, my thinking was like, they'll just, they, they'll, they'll play what they think you want to hear. Yeah. So why not let them know before that, that yeah. actually I'd like, here are the things that have over the course of my life brought me joy and, and they're, you know, low stress, sort of put this type of music and these books by my bed that people can read to me or you know things like that that you see I don't want to be in that situation <laughs> so I don't even think about it you don't want to be there should be no bedside <laughs> exactly um actually Andrea a number of years ago made me a cd what does a cd say the young children now um anyway she made me a cd it's called penny at the prom and it's got all those um, 50s and 60s music so and I've said that I want it played at my funeral so you know they know I we've filled out this form I think I told you about it from uh, dying with dignity yes and we I just looked at it before I came over and it was 2020 when I when we did it so I'm going to update it again and uh, they are very clear and we have had numerous discussions and sort of like you you yes. know when we go away well you do this and you, yeah we know where it is mom yeah we know 
Um, but we're, we're back. We're back. We're back for our ongoing experiment. Um, but it's, it is funny that I, like, I've told a lot of people that the story of the person, I think I've probably even mentioned it in other episodes. Of the, <laughs> <laughs> the, yes. Obviously it had an impact on me was this, this woman telling me that she wanted to hear, uh, CCR at her bedside. Yeah. Um, and I obviously have mentioned it like on multiple occasions to some friends. Cause my friend texted me the other day and he was like, yeah, so my wife's mom got her, her booklet, like to start filling stuff out and we can't find the music section. Like you were talking about the music section. I was like, I have been misrepresenting. <laughs> <laughs> really? The truth is, is that right. why that sticks out for me is because it should be right. part of a conversation. Yeah. These sorts of what one might consider like benign nothings and musings are actually super important. Yeah. And, you know, part of part of one's like part of our ability to um, support the people that we love. Right. And also can be part of our legacy. Like, I'm sorry, that woman's going to go down in history as the lady who wants to hear CCR at her bedside. Totally. Maybe her family doesn't know that. I hope they do. (laughs) By by now anyway. (laughs) But I mean, and also when Penny, I I thought it was really interesting when I asked Penny about what she, about her legacy. And she sort of said, oh, I, I hadn't thought about it. But then immediately had an answer. Right. I think it's like there are these things, these questions that, they seem profound, but I think we're always kind of thinking about them. Like it just was a matter of asking the question for her to be able to kind of conjure up this right. idea of who she, she believes she is and who she wants to be remembered as. Right. Right. Um, I don't think of, of it as a legacy necessarily um, when you frame it like that, but uh, for sure, at least subconsciously, I think we all have an idea of how we want to be remembered. Totally. Totally. And like, is that, something that we should be saying out loud more. I don't know. Um, I suppose it wouldn't hurt. Yeah. I mean, we don't need to necessarily be at the end of every conversation. Um, I'd like to be remembered <laughs> for, here's the things from this conversation I want you to remember me for. Um, but also in the next section, like Penny talks about how, and, and as you can tell, like she's pretty open talking about death. Like it, when we started the conversation, I was like, hi, Penny, how are you? She's like, death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I appreciate that. uh, Yeah, me too. And I think that's not true for everyone though. Like I, and I, and that must be interesting as someone who, I mean, I'm, I, I'm open to speaking about it, but I'm 43 years old. I think it's something that's been coming up, especially for that generation specifically as Mm -hmm. they, as they age and get older. Um, it's probably, it was especially true, you know, for my parents and likely my older siblings, we don't talk about it a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. And from her perspective, you know, she talks a little bit about her surprise when people her age don't want to talk about it. Um, and I wonder, like, I, it gets my wheels turning, like, is it the way we talk about it? Is, are there, I mean, I'm sure there are people who are just straight up, like, I never want to talk about it or think about it. Right. Um, but I wonder, is there like a way we can, this is what this is about. Can we, can we have better conversations so that people who have, you know, fear, yeah. fear, um, about even talking about it. Yeah. And, um, 
And I think the other thing that, that we touch on here, which I think is an interesting, and we've had conversations about this, the, the fear thing is kind of a mixed bag. Like there is an element of fear and maybe the word fear doesn't resonate with everyone, but there's an, there's an idea of some of when someone dies too young Mm -hmm. or like an untimely death. Mm -hmm. But I think then there is concurrently also, and Penny talks about that, the fear associated with living too long. Right. And I can totally understand that. Yeah. Which one are you more scared of? Oh, probably um, living too long. Yeah. I guess. Me too. Uh, I don't have kids though. You do. So there's also, yeah, that's an added. It's a, it's a tough question. Mm-hmm. Um, f- for the, for the former, at least, you know, if you die early, you're just gone. So you can't <laughs> think about it anymore. But if you're getting older, yeah, uh, you see kind of in real time how it affects you and your family and your happiness and their happiness and, and, you know, how they deal with it and you deal with it. It's a, you know, there's a, there's a lot more to kind of gauge. Um, but I don't know, I'm sure it changes, uh, over time and even, you know, year to year and week to week. So my great aunt Reen, um, who I think she, she passed when she was 98, I believe. And she wore high heels her entire yeah. life and she met Elvis. So that's her <laughs> legacy. The real one? Um, <laughs> she was a realtor in Toronto and also like a scene star. Like she was a scene lady in Toronto. Sure. And she met Elvis. Yeah. She said he was lovely. Yeah. Um, and she, so wasn't on a single medication, like, to, like towards the end of her life, like quite healthful. I mean, right. from a, like if you looked at her labs. Yeah. But she also couldn't really see, couldn't really hear anymore. So she used to love reading the paper and watching TV. Yeah. Couldn't do either of those things. Wasn't, you know, a bit wobbly on her feet. And I remember visiting her and she said to me, sometimes we just live too long. And she wasn't mm-hmm. in pain and she wasn't there, but she just was like. There's different degrees of suffering. For sure. Right. I and think I, she was just like, no, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Anymore. And I think that's what we fear Mm -hmm. too but i think it can be healthy like like that to know when to say you know it's been good yeah right totally yeah i like that idea i do too all right next section all right penny penny people your own age have things happen to their health that is probably really scary. Absolutely. And you can imagine yourself or can't imagine yourself in those positions and just thinking, hold on, I need to get the ball rolling for this particular thing. I understand that inclination. I'm not like, Hey, can I get my maid set up? Like, you know, so I I totally understand because I mean, you have had friends who have, you know, it goes from witnessing your grandparents to witnessing your parents and your friends' parents to then your own friends start having. And that's, that's all I, I like to think that if you, that's what's happening, you're lucky to be in the place where you're, because the alternative is you've died when you're before you get to those (laughs) stages, you know, like my cousin Jody's husband who died suddenly at 42 
that's I would think he would think you're pretty lucky to be at a stage to have this. Where, yeah, yeah. Um, and also not to what about I'm not to what about like nor am I minimizing trying to minimize I hope it's not coming across oh, as minimizing the challenge no and you know I, it doesn't bother me at all when people joke about dying either or um, you know saying things that I don't know I mean it's it's inevitable and I, as I said before the only thing that I don't want is a time that is drawn out at great length and I know that is probably going to happen because that's what happens to most people but that's not what I want and that's not what most people want and I am talking a little bit more to people about death and dying and my age and you know around my age some people don't seem and and it's not like we do it all the time but even when we do do it it's like some people think uh, we don't really need to talk about this because they're sort of in the same position I am that we're fine you know and and so I, I'm a little bit hesitant sometimes to say anything because even people who, again, are in my situation, don't seem to want to think about it. And it sort of surprises me because I think that at this age, we should be able to talk to our peers mm-hmm. without, you know, just sort of exploring possibilities or exploring our feelings or exploring um our fears, I suppose, and without getting all upset about it. Right. And I'm not saying that these people necessarily get upset, but I'm very careful with some people because I know that they don't really want to talk about it. And so I want to be careful that I don't do it too often. And yet there are times, especially we do have a friend right now who's not in very good shape and we lament the life that he's living right now and think how horrible it must be for him and and we don't want to see ourselves in that position so it's on my mind more than yeah. it might otherwise be sure so um it, it, it again it does surprise me because um i don't know it, it's just that time in your life um, it could be 20 years, I hope not, that I live. But <laughs> you hope not. Hey, fair enough. You know, I don't want to live till I'm 96. No. Particularly unless I'm chipper. And, and the chances of me being chipper at 96 are not very good. Yeah. Do you have a time in your life that you think of as kind of the time you felt most alive? A period in your life where that when you think about it, you feel sort of light and breezy that like, oh, I love that memory. I think when my kids were little, yeah. I think in my 20s and early 30s, I think I felt pretty good until I started working full time again. Right. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I did. I, I When I think back, some of the things I did, I think, holy crap. And I <laughs> clean my bedroom now at 76 and think, oh, that was hard. I can't do that. I used to, oh, anyway. You, you really like being a mom. Oh, loved it. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah. Well, I used to love watching Michael cut the grass with his shirt off. So <laughs> that was my favorite thing as a little kid. Um, if you now are thinking um, as like thinking on your, your grandchildren and your children and stuff, and you could give sort of not advice, but if you could mm. say to them, you know, these are of the life that I've lived and the joy that I've had and the, the pain and sadness. And is there, are there, what wisdom would you impart? I wish I had some wisdom to impart. 
Um, well, you just spent about an hour imparting wisdom, but that is like very open conversation. I think uh, I've actually thought about this a little bit, and I think um, I think I would say try your best to be yourself. Like, don't give in to expectations of others. Mm-hmm. To realize that it's okay. I mean, this is obviously two generations uh, down, and so they think differently. But just to be yourself and not... I mean, it, it's, it would be so wonderful if everyone could find a way to make a living that they enjoyed, but, like, really enjoyed. Like, yeah. something they loved and they could just go and do something and make an, a, a, a good enough living. Yeah. That would be wonderful. But just, you know... Be kind. Yes. But be yourself. Yes. You don't, if if you don't like something, fine, but you don't have to be nasty about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, I do have a, a saying. It's be kind because everybody's fighting a great battle. I read that in a book. It was a mystery book and it was, oh, probably 20 odd years ago now. And I was reading it and I thought, wow, that is so true. It was some... It's not, it wasn't Plato, but somebody from way back when, and that was the little motto. It said, be kind because everybody's fighting a great battle. And I'm not always kind. Obviously, I've got my faults just like everybody else does. Sure. Um, sometimes I'm way too judgmental, but I keep that in the back of my mind all the time. Be kind because everybody is fighting a great battle, and they are. Mm-hmm. Life ain't easy. Sure isn't. Yeah. Well, I'm very grateful that you agreed to talk to me. Well, you are so easy to talk to. <laughs> I think you, I, I'm serious. I think you're a wise young woman. Oh, well, that's nice. I, Mom, did you hear that? I think <laughs> you picked up on things as I was saying them and you kept them in your mind. <laughs> Nothing stays in my mind anymore. <laughs> and we're able to follow up on them. I think you are a very wise young woman. Well, that's nice. Thank you, Penny. So that, Penny, what a nice compliment. That was. Um, also true. That's very nice of you to say as well, Mom. A good recall. <laughs> yeah. Well, I um, do love talking to people, I think, and I have like mentioned this numerous times, mm-hmm. that I think every single person on earth is interesting in some way. Yeah. Um, at least in my experience. Yeah, I think you you know how to talk to people to bring out um, the interesting things. Well, that's nice of part. you to say. Yeah. Um, but so appreciate it. Thanks, Penny and Muzz, for your wonderful <laughs> compliments. Also, for sure. like the massive audience, please feel free to send in more compliments. <laughs> always, always open to receiving. Um, so the next section, just a, I think, is a really lovely reminder um, about the little things and the rituals and the kindnesses that we can uh, do for one another. Yeah, big time. Small comforts, you know? Yeah. Um, I think we often get bogged down with details around things like, and I'm not minimizing their importance, but like medical decision-making, wills, estates, but those aren't the things that define us. Right. And so, and, you know, Penny sort of her, her like want her little small comforts and rituals that she would like flowers. And, you know, she, she talks about it quite a bit. It's just a nice reminder that right. it doesn't always have to be complex and profound. Right. 
do you have something that you oh. quite like that brings you comfort? That I could share with other people? Uh, <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not asking for anything. You know, it's funny. We've done a few of these episodes. I haven't really thought about it, mm. uh, but um, I don't know. I'm sure like I, there'd be, you know, a couple songs that I've related to in the past that I just like to play just to, that are familiar and comfortable. Um, Is it CCR? And... <laughs> no, 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 I'm not going to steal. Uh, who is that? Phyllis's Thunder? No, that's actually a, a lady we have. That was a friend of Phyllis's. Right. Um, yeah, probably just like uh, good, good food. Mm-hmm. Um, something for people to snack on and... Uh, I guess I would be comfortable, and this is true while I'm alive, so I guess it would be true when I'm dead, but when other people are comfortable, that's kind of when I'm at my homeostasis. So, uh, you know, anything to kind of set set that mood. Yeah. Right? You know, I get that for sure. I, when I think about, like, little rituals, like, as it pertains to my dad, for example, he is at the end of any dinner he w- offers a wee dram, which is a scotch. <laughs> right. Although he goes through phases. So he went through a tequila phase, a vodka phase, uh, a gin phase, I believe, rum phase, right. but always the steady is always scotch. He loves scotch. Yeah. And um, I hate it. Right. So I always like um, politely decline the wee dram, but my brothers partake. And he loves it when someone partakes. So like I would think that... That would be a nice thing, even if he can't. I, I actually thought it was really lovely when Pete talked about his dad, how yeah. they, his dad, I think it was rye, how they would just had like a little sponge with some rye so that he could just partake in like sure. one of his favorite rituals yeah. um, at the end of his life as well. Just, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, nice. these are, I just, this is, these are lovely little Do you comforts. think about that? Like what's your comfort? Um, yes, I do. Um, I, so I am a whore for amazing bedding. It's probably not a great phrasing, actually. I really like good sheets. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so there is the, okay, growing up, there is this. I'm going to put that on your gravestone. (laughs) Whore for bedding. Um, there's a Mennonite community, like about 30 minutes from Stratford Yeah, and they make pillows mm-hmm. and duvets mm-hmm. and they also, you can take the pillows and duvets back to them and they will remove the feathers, wash them and then remake your pillow and duvet. Wow. My grandmother got pillows and duvets from them. My mother did. And subsequently I also have pillows and duvets from them. Wow. I recently had them all cleaned. It's glorious. So they'll clean them and restuff them. Yes. Amazing. It's incredible. And good sheets, proper bedding. So I, I actually don't think it matters to me what the surface that I'm on is. I mean, I'll, I'll say I'm not, I'm not saying throw me on a slab of concrete, but if there's good sheets and good pillows and duvet. Yeah. Well, we could just order an ND mattress and 
plop it in a hall and have some Perfect. good shit. <laughs> Are we sponsored amazing. yet, by the way? Well, wonderful. <laughs> Any day now, Andy. And also the Mennonite community that I don't, they don't even have a business name. Right. The other thing is, is the women who are doing it now, like the younger generation isn't into it. So they're oh. all like in their 80s and 90s. Right. And so it's a time limited thing. Okay. Get your pillows and, and, come, and duvets now. Yeah. Yeah. I like that comfort. It's literally comfortable. It's literally yeah. comfortable. <laughs> what brings you comfort? Oh, comfort. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. So on to Penny's comforts. Okay. Oh, yeah. Ritual is not unimportant, yeah. I think. And yeah. I think that it is always, um, like I these conversations, I think are a nice reminder of the things that we can do they seem small because everyone's like will like you have your will yeah, set up you yeah, have your major right. health decisions set up but there's also like the daily rituals that we do and the things that have like remind you of someone like this to me is is something that we have done that we can sort of uh, the scotch idea is lovely like just stuff like that bring flowers what kind of flowers um anything Nothing smelly. Oh, nothing smelly. You just want the presence of flowers. That's right. I want the presence of flowers. Nothing smelly. Chocolate, limoncello. I can live on that as long as I (laughs) need to. Okay, so we're recording. Yep. This is our uh, outro. Yeah. This is a shout out to Adrian. Yeah. Who's requested it. Yes. On more than one occasion. We take our feedback seriously. We do. Yeah. We do. Uh, from anyone who wants to offer it, Adrian and anyone else. Um, but yeah, that was Penny. That was, uh, I think, a really excellent conversation. We Big got time. to Yeah. Got to know Penny a little bit. Mm-hmm. She's, um, I know that uh, from my experience also just as a witness, she is an excellent friend to my mom. Yeah. And just an overall great person. It was very sweet. And has gorgeous gardens. Oh. Interestingly, yes. she knew Pete's dad because she's a master gardener and so was he. And after she listened to it, she was she was like, oh, I just, I love that I got to know him a little on, in a different way from That's the so conversation sweet. with Pete. I know I agree. That's great. Yeah. Um, so and, any final thoughts? About- well, yes. And I think this is just kind of an ongoing an ongoing thought that I, I have throughout all the conversations. Um, uh, and I think it's, it's, it's worth thinking about that, you know, Penny and my parents and probably your parents are, have probably a bit more choices as they age. You know, we talked about whether or not Penny and Ken will sell their house and Mm -hmm. my parents have downgraded to a smaller house that they did that about 20 years ago and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm what really um, is highlighted to me in that is how much space socioeconomics gives people in terms of choice. Yeah, that's a good point. And, um, you know, aging, we've touched upon it on multiple episodes, is challenging. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of things to think about. Lots of factors um, and lots of worries that people have. And... It's, I think, important to acknowledge and continue to talk about um, how socioeconomics plays a role. I think you're absolutely right. So on that note, Muzz, let's keep the conversation going. Thanks, Amy.
Thank you.